Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with the Pure Now Show. This is episode number two. And like our first episode with Adam Perry, this gentleman, Mr. Chris Catchpole, is also from across the pond. He's the executive creative director at DDB, Tribal Worldwide in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. He's been here about eight years, but I'm going to let him tell his story. Here we go. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Hello, Mark. How you doing, man? I'm curious. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Pure Now show with me. It's really exciting to talk to you. I know we've tried to make this happen a couple of times, so we're excited that you finally made it. I know you had a birthday last weekend and took all your family out of town to get some yep. R&R because you are probably one of the busiest cats I know. Uh, a little bit frazzled, I was, but a lot better now. I need to recharge. Yeah. So you've been in Saigon for eight years, right? It's, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been, actually, I, I came here originally in April 2012. Um, I did a year in, uh, in 2016 in China, between Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, but then, then I missed here, so I came back here again. So I've been here, uh, yeah, quite a few years now. So I still don't very good Vietnamese, but... But you're, you're married to a Vietnamese woman and, and have yes. some children, right? Yes, uh, I've got. I have two. Uh, twi- I have twins of two and a half here, uh, and I have got, actually got three grown-up children back in the UK. So okay. a, a fair old brood. Okay. So let's let's get in the wayback machine and uh, and and go over how you've come to this point. You're the executive creative director at DDB Needham, a tribal worldwide here in uh, Saigon. Uh, I'm sure that's a long road of lots of things that have occurred in your life, but you're you're from England, and yes. uh, uh, what started you on this journey, this creative journey? What were some of the events that occurred that unfolded that put you on this road that you know informed you that this was the, the life that you wanted? It's, it, um, this actually came up about about two years ago. Um, because I was working on a pitch, uh, and I won't say who it was for, uh, but um, uh, it was all about um, that the moment of inspiration. That was that's what it was called, uh, and the moment of inspiration when uh, somebody decides to do the thing that they love or enjoy or go for or become become good at, uh, become maybe a celebrity at, famous at. I wouldn't say I'm not famous, but nonetheless, the the moment where you think um, uh, is a turning point, and it can often be. Uh, but I, I said when I was doing this pitching, often be the the point when somebody actually somebody other than you notices what you can do, your talent. Now I remember um, at seven years old, I know a long time ago, um, Mr. Pepper, who was my uh, deputy headmaster at primary school. Uh, I'd done some drawings. Now there's a, a program from many, a cartoon from many years ago called Top Cat, and in Top Cat there was a, a, a policeman and basically a bunch of cats. Uh, and this all sounds a bit bizarre, I know, but it is leading up to a point. And I'd uh, the previous weekend I'd had a piece of lined paper, not even clear paper, it was lined school paper. I had a biro, a blue biro, and I'd done a drawing, uh, copied. Uh, a picture of uh, Officer Dibble and Top Cat, the cat and the police officer. Uh, 
And on the Monday morning, I was sat in class, uh, and and I uh, and I was doing a bit more scribbles to it, kind of finishing it off. And Mr. Pepper comes around. And he says, "That's very good, Chris. You're very talented." What? I, I didn't know. Uh, and then I started drawing. I drew a lot. And then I went to art school. Actually, I studied art. I chose art as one of my um, A levels. I did really well at it. And then I went to art school and I carried on drawing. And I get very good at drawing and life drawing and, and it's difficult skills. And then I thought, well, I, I kind of know to be an artist. I'm not really an artist. I'm, I'm an ideas man. I like thinking of things. Um, as it happened, I went to design, uh, to do a design degree. Um, and I don't, I don't want to be rude about designers because I'm amazing and designers out there, but it just wasn't enough for me. I started off working in a design agency and um, making things look beautiful is fabulous, but I needed, I, I just needed more than that. I needed, um, it took me, a, what I'd say is it, it took me a while to get from design then into, I did packaging design, I did brochure design, corporate density design, but then went into direct marketing. Now, direct marketing for me was, was, was fascinating because it was, um, uh, it's not just all the stuff that you send through the post, but basically it was a call to action, you know, getting people to do something. Um, there was brand advertising, which is awareness, and then there was direct advertising, which was, you know, you, we, we want you to phone and call us now, we want you to spend your money now, do stuff now. Um, and for years, I ended 10 years in direct marketing agencies, and I got to the, the um, finally got to the top, the best direct marketing agency in the country, in the UK at the time, which was Harrison, Trout and Wonderman. This guy called Steve Harrison, uh, who is a brilliant, brilliant man, um, uh, unbelievably awarded uh, and, and very smart, and knew how to do direct marketing, um, probably the best in, in the country. Uh, and. He won the first uh, um, direct Grand Prix at the Cannes Lion Festival, which is like most, one of the most prestigious awards festivals in the world. And uh, no, a very a great guy to, to learn from. Previous to that, I'd only ever really done about two years in each agency, and I thought I'd, maybe it was my ego at the time, uh, or cockiness, or arrogance, whatever it was, um, I felt that I'd learned enough I needed to move on. And sometimes it was for money. Actually, um, so I was never driven by money and, I, and I, I never have been since. Sometimes I've learned a huge amount in my career and sometimes not so much. And sometimes nothing because, you know, sometimes you're out of work. Um, but has it made any difference to the quality of work I do? No, not at all. It doesn't matter whether you're being paid $1 or $100,000 to do your work. You do it the best you can. Uh, and that was my simple ethos all the way through. Um, after Steve's place, um, I he did a talk in 2005, it'd be about, about March 2005, and I know these dates well because of what happened next. Um, he did a talk which, was, uh, which I've done pre uh, subsequently, even when I got here to the same talk, which was there was a promise to the agency. There were about 120 people in Harrison Town Wonderman at the time, and, uh, uh, and he said, within four years, we promise all of you that you will know enough to run your own agency. If you're a creative, you'll know about how to be a suit, you how to sell work, uh, how to take briefs. If you're a, um, a creative, you'll know about planning, you'll know about finance, you'll know about data planning, you'll know about all the uh, machinations of an agency outside of just what your skill base is. And it's the same thing for account management. You know how what creatives do. 
to, to the nth degree. You know, you will know all the facets of an agency, so you could run your own. He said, we think it will take you four years to do that. So if you want to give us four years, at the end of that four years, you, you'll come out and you'll be able to run your own agency. A week later, I went in to see him and I said, Steve, uh, I've been here almost four years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own agency. And I was terrified. I was going to rip me apart. And he said, fantastic. That's wonderful. That's wonderful news. He said, uh, uh, he said, obviously don't steal any of our clients. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm sorry. He said, go and do it, go and we're brilliant. He said, uh, he said, I'm so happy to hear that. He said, you're the first person at that time in his, in his career. I remember he was, he was very proud of the fact that there were 17 creative directors worldwide who had worked under him at some point. I mean, it was, you know, he, he, was, he, he was, you know, the god of the gods in terms of uh, direct marketing creativity. And uh, he said, but no one has ever started their own agency. I don't know why. Um, he said, you're the first. Uh, I said, well, I hope to make you proud. And he said, you already have. Um, I spent three years from 2005 uh, to 2008 uh, uh, loving what I did. It was fantastic. You know, you walk in. My, it, my name was above the door. It was called Catchpole and Friends. Um, I, I, from, in my uh, career to that point, I realized the people I enjoyed working with uh, were not only the very talented ones, they were the very, they were the, they were the very nice ones. Um, we, you know, you can, I'd met some people who were extremely talented who weren't particularly pleasant. I mean, you can work with them, it's fine. But, um, but you know, if you're going to go into the office every day and see these people, it's good if you get on. Uh, I'd also met people who uh, were really lovely people, but completely lacking in talent. And you really don't want to work with those people. Um, you want to work with people who, I wanted to work with the people who were what I called classed as friends. People who cared about each other, cared about the work. I actually used to put the, um, uh, the P&L sheets on the walls to show what target we needed to make each month um, and uh, uh, the money. So it was completely transparent and everyone bought into that. They loved all of that. Um, there were, it was a small team, there's only about seven or eight of us. Um, when I say seven or eight, I mean we had a finance director who wasn't there full time. Uh, but we were opposite the big Saatchi's building on Charlotte Street and I loved the office. Um, 2008, from the 2nd of January, which I think was a Monday, uh, 2008, we came, or Tuesday, we came back to work and, uh, and we went into a complete nosedive. We literally fell off a cliff. We'd been climbing up this mountain and doing really well and winning awards along the way and lots of people wanted to come and work with us and getting CVs in from all over the place. And we used to offer internships and some of those interns have now gone on to be creative directors and ECDs themselves. Um, <clears throat> Because you can get that way if, if somebody encourages you and somebody mentors you and you've got talent. But uh, 2008 was a grim year for everyone. It was a recession. I only found out probably a couple of years ago that the economy in the UK dropped by, I think it was 55 or 57%. I didn't know that at the time. All I, all I um, was heard was rejection after rejection after rejection. And, it, and I tried working 24 hours a day, uh, including weekends, and it still didn't work and we'd still lose pitches. And we'd still, and still work was being pulled away from us, even our key accounts. And you think, what the hell is going on here? There's nothing I can do to save, uh, save the day. Um, on the, I think it was the uh, 1st of June, 2008, uh, I had to get everyone together and tell them that we had to close. And I only had enough money to pay them for one more month. 
lots of tears. And the and the the heart, this kind of a heartening but saddening thing was that they weren't crying for themselves. They all knew they could get great jobs, and they all went on to get good jobs. They cried for me because I put everything, my heart and soul, into it. But also not just it, it was it was all of me into it. Um, it it's, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the smartest thing to do. It just didn't work. So. Um, we, we, we died and on the 1st of August that year, uh, we closed the company. Uh, next thing was, I'll, I'll cut a long story short, but basically I, I, um, I, uh, I freelanced and then I went into uh, an agency in Shoreditch for a year and then an agency near home for a year, both of which I didn't really enjoy. Um, I resigned from the last one uh, and then got a call, do you fancy a, a two week stint in Amsterdam? Wow, yes I do. Uh, by the way, it's a digital agency. Ooh, uh, I don't really have enough digital creds to get in there. Don't worry, I'll get you in by the back door. They just need, they, they don't just need digital creatives. They actually need full on 360 creatives. You can do that, can't you? Yeah, of course. I went in there um, and those two weeks turned into 11, 11 and a bit months, nearly a year. Uh, and I worked, uh, did films for Philips in, uh, like in Singapore, in, uh, Hong Kong, uh, and then in Europe. So we did Paris, we did Amsterdam, but also I uh, did in Delhi as well in, in India. Uh, amazing times and uh, great, great clients, great people. Uh, Award-winning, multi-award-winning agency, and and then suddenly uh, they say, "Oh, we don't need you anymore." Uh, and thank you very much, so much for your time. They, at one point, they'd had 55 freelancers in there, and I was the very last one to go um, <clears throat> because they built up their team. Anyway, uh, I instantly connected with a friend of mine who's in Singapore, who worked at Ogilvy in Singapore, and she said, uh, how quickly can you get out here? Wow, really? Um, and so uh, I got back into uh, DDB the next day in Amsterdam, and they said, oh, can you stay on? Oh, God, uh, no, I'm just going, I'm going to Singapore. Oh dear, um, I'd love to, I want to stay here forever, but I've just accepted this job in Singapore. I moved to Singapore and, uh, and hit the ground running. Um, and after four months, won them the biggest pitch of the year. In fact, the fourth biggest pitch they did in uh, for the Ogilvy Network in all of Asia that year. Um, and I assumed that um, after Christmas, they'd fly me back to work on it, but they didn't. So, Oh, uh, I kind of lined that up. Now, I, I, I quickly did a couple of weeks work back in Amsterdam, but then it all went a bit, it all went a bit stale and all a bit, it went a bit quiet uh, at the beginning of 2012. And then suddenly I'm having interviews for a job in Vietnam. I was offered, I was offered three jobs in the end. Uh, one was in back in Amsterdam at Ogilvy, but they, at the end of the day, it got down to the last two and they wanted to have the, the Dutch speaker, which made complete sense because all their clients were Dutch. And Dutch is mental, it's a language, and I, and I laugh about it a lot because I've got some lots of Dutchy friends. Because um, I see anomalies in their language they don't see, same as here in Vietnam. Um, and then um, uh, I, I, one, job, one job was in London. Uh, but it was, it was I, can't, I won't mention the, the, the agency name, but it, they had one big client and that was it. And I just thought, I, I don't, I'm not sure I want to feel like I'm working for a client side, not yet at least. And the next one was in, it was in uh, Vietnam. Uh, my ex-wife uh, wasn't very happy about me going to Vietnam, it was a long way away. And I said, look, I'll do it for six months. Uh, it's, a, it's ECD at an agency called Low. 
Um, there's a media, big international network. It's my first ECD role. The pay's okay, um, but it's, it'll be a new market. And then maybe with it being an international network, I can work anywhere in the world. It didn't work at all like that. Uh, low is, I describe low as a not work. Um, <laughs> it's very rude of me to say that, but uh, none of the agencies worked with each other. In fact, they always tried to steal work off each other, which I thought was all a bit bizarre. And um, after two years of working with the, the possibly the, the most appalling MD on earth, um, I left there and I went to a local agency called Phibias. Uh, Phibias had offices in, uh, I was ECD across uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Indonesia, and Jakarta. Though. Um, and, and that lasted about just under a couple of years as well. And then, and then the next thing is um, I, I'm in China, uh, a digital agency in China called Interone. China was an incredibly hard market, um, not just because uh, of the climate in Beijing, which is pretty grim, um, but uh, because, you know, I thought Vietnam was was hard, but Vietnam to a certain extent is a bit like um, it's Asia light. I mean, you, we, we all describe Singapore as Asia light, but Vietnam is Asia light compared to China. In China, I mean, the the level of English in, in Beijing was was almost negligible, apart from people who work in the agency. Um, and it's not their fault at all. It's, I'm, I'm in their country, I should be learning Chinese. But um, I did think that I'm not sure I'm gonna stay here. Um, it was it was uh, an enormous amount to take on. It was a big, big agency, about 110, I think. Uh, very, very digitally led. Um, but having said that, uh, I'll roll forwards quickly to the end of that time. And I remember going in, because um, this job had come up at BBDO back in uh, uh, Vietnam, and I remember saying to my wife, um, uh, do you want to go back to Vietnam? She said, oh, I don't mind, I don't mind. Um, and I said, well, actually, I, I'm probably going to get off of the ECD role of BBDO in back in Ho Chi Minh. She said, oh, really? I was like, oh, okay, so you do want to go back. <laughs> she, she said, I'll, I'll go anywhere in the world with you. I was like, I know, I know, but do you want to go back to Vietnam? Yeah, it would be nice. Anyway, so she, she missed it. Um, and at that at that point, um, although we don't, we were newly married. I knew at some stage or other because I've got a younger wife that it would be unfair if we didn't if I, we didn't have the opportunity to have children. But she she didn't have the opportunity to have children. I've got three three big ones, and they're amazing. Uh, back in the UK, so Olivia is twenty four, nearly twenty five. Poppy is twenty three. Harry's twenty, and they're all at uni at the moment. And Olivia's trained to be a doctor, so it's all all going brilliantly. Actually, Poppy's just finished uni. She's got a new first job. Uh, but um, uh, well, I want to go to children, so I thought oh, yeah, it's probably going to be an awful lot easier if we have children back in in, uh, in Vietnam. Um, bizarrely, uh, we, we I went walked into my um, into one. I walked in to see the MD and the class service director, and I said on my last day, as of literally saying goodbye. And, I, and I've been in, in Beijing for Beijing and Shanghai, but mainly Beijing uh, for ten months. And I said, I'm leaving at the wrong time. And they said, well, Why did you say that? I said, I've only just got the hang of how to work here. I know how to work here now, and I'm doing some great work here. We're doing some great work here, um, and I shouldn't be going back yet. Um, and I've signed up. And it's a it's a crap deal and whatever, but I just was desperate to get out back in July, not now. And they said, well, we'll keep in touch. And I actually ended up doing a bit more work for them once I left. Um, I think pitch for smart, I think it was. Um, 
But I came back to Vietnam and uh, it was, uh, BBDO no longer exists here uh, as an agency. I did one year there, actually no, no it wasn't even one year, it was just under one year. Um, horrendous place and, and, and it's no wonder it doesn't exist anymore. It was just, it was run by people who shouldn't be working advertising. Anyway, they're not now. Uh, and that's how, it, it's not about bitterness because actually the next guy he came in, uh, extremely talented ECD, and uh, he was given exactly the same treatment, just basically forced out. Uh, it was very unpleasant and he lasted a full year. Uh, he's now gone on to win loads of awards and do brilliantly in Thailand. A uh, very talented guy, but, but it crushed every opportunity. It's a bizarre situation for them. Um, after BBDO, I, uh, uh, I set up my own outfit called Rockstar. And um, the whole thing about Rockstar wasn't me, it's not describing me, Rockstar was about making clients Rockstars. Because I'd realised in the, in the um, previous, well, for, for years previous, um, every year, at least once or twice, if I was looking twice, but at least once uh, you'd have uh, a, a client or a group of clients that have become famous in their company or network or sometimes worldwide because of a campaign that you've done, you've done really, really well, um, or that I'd done, or I'd worked, be involved in and worked on. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, uh, we, uh, we can make people rock stars with, our, with what we do in advertising. And um, I realised that um, uh, I haven't actually really worked for Vodafone or British Airways or Pepsi or Coke uh, or Vinamilk or, um, or, or BMW or uh, Nissan or I mean this massive long list of clients. I'd worked for um, uh, uh, Ha, I'd worked for, she's, it's a good female name here, sorry. I'd worked for Ha, I'd worked for Anique, I'd worked for Damien, I'd worked for Sule, I'd worked for people. We don't work for brands, we work for people. We work for individual people. Now, it might be a team of people, but still people. They're people who, who get bonused, promoted and poached on what we can do, if we're allowed to. Um, and when we're allowed to do great work, they get, they're the ones who get all the praise and that's fantastic. That's all, that's all we can ever wish for. We want our clients to do well. Of course we do, because they'll come back for more. When I had my own agency, the Cash Plum Friends in the UK, there was, I had a client who was, we were introduced to, to work at Visa. Uh, and we just a lovely little campaign for a Visa. And then she went to PayPal and she took us there. And then she went to LinkedIn and she took us there because she wants to keep working with us. Why not? It's brilliant. The, the woman that I just mentioned, Ha, uh, she worked at Visa too. This is recently in Vietnam. Did some cracking work for her. Made her a bloody rock star about three years ago when I was at BBDO. She was known throughout all of Asia. She ended up because going from a quiet little sleepy Vietnam at the time uh, to she was in the top four talents in Asia Pacific to the top two in Southeast Asia for Visa because of the campaigns that I've written. Um, I'm not taking the credit for them, I'm just, I'm just saying that, that that's what happened. I mean, there were, they was great work and, and it was loved. And, and the little bloody song we wrote for was sung to her every, in every office she went around in Asia as soon as she walked in the room. Um, catchy, simple lyrics. Anyway, um, when she left there, she went to Google. And Google happened to then be one of my clients at, um, uh, at Rockstar. She, she took me there. Now, you don't walk straight into any of these clients. You still have to pitch, you have to show your work, and you have to prove yourself. But 
I got four films to do for Google, and then I got some more films to do for Google. Cool. Um, I was also I also had Havianas as a client when I was at Rockstar when the, the flip flop people. Oh, I loved that. It's great. One of the best presentations of my career. Uh, this is back in 2018, August 2018. Um, I flew to Bangkok. I'm just floating on the air coming coming home, literally. Um, that was a great presentation. So. Then um, about just just over a year ago, I got a call from a text message on Zala uh, from Mai, who was my old PA when I was at Low, and uh, she I'd plucked her out of Low to come and join me at Phibias, and she stayed at Phibias quite a while. About a year previous, so two years ago, I'd helped her write. I did her CV for her and helped her write a covering letter to get her in here, DDB, and they they employed her on the spot. It's great. <coughs> so she wrote to me. Said our ECD and MD have just left. They just quit. <gasps> really? Um, the next uh, sentence was, "You could do that. You could do that job, couldn't you?" What? I not even thought of it. I was really happy at home. The reason why I was happy at home is because uh, our two new twins had been born, and I got to spend a lot of time with them. I still worked my ass off at home, doing lots of pitches and lots of spec work and lots of real work. Um, but uh, I kind of miss the agency environment. The bizarre thing is, as soon as you get back in the agency environment, you realise what you didn't miss. Um, but you know, it's still got a long way to go, Vietnam, in terms of, I'd say, in terms of professionalism. But nonetheless, we're we're making we're making headway. You're listening to the Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives, presented by Balance. Um, so I came back into DDB. Uh, uh, as an agency, uh, DDB and Travel, uh, last June, it was the 8th of June, I set foot in the office. And uh, uh, we actually, actually, I counted up this year, so we've done some, we've done a few pitches this year, we've only actually lost one, and that was, for, I'm pretty sure, for quite political reasons. They were just not keen on working with us, uh, not to do with the work, I'm sure. Um, our, my, my aim here, um, uh, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a kind of funny line uh, for, as a recruitment line. I haven't put it out yet. Uh, maybe it's too rude to put out. Um, but I, the, the headline on the recruitment ad for account people here is, um, we're looking for people who can sell beer to alcoholics. <laughs> now, the point of this, the point, the point of that line is that, um, that I, I uh, make a promise to the suits to uh, join us and also our creative department, but basically the suits mainly, that we will produce creative work that is, that is great. Um, it's much easier selling great work than it is selling poor work. So sometimes um, uh, you might think we're a bit slow. We're not. We're just using our brains. We're not robots. We're not sausage, a sausage factory just churning out ideas. Sometimes they come very quickly. Sometimes this can take longer. Uh, the longer you've been doing it, this, your ideas can come quickly. Um, I've tended to find in my career is either the first or the last idea, which is the best. Um, I even had literally a split test yesterday. I sent off uh, three little lads. Uh, they looked the first and the last one. It's very funny. It's like, this is exactly what I thought you would say. Um, uh, they were just little little things for a mate of mine. Um, but yeah, as I say, first and last, sometimes you have to go through an awful lot of, of duds to get to that last one, but you'll know it when it comes. But the only reason why you know it when it comes is because of experience. 
Um, what is joyful uh, to see is when you sit down with uh, your younger creatives or more junior people or anyone really <coughs> that presents work to you and you go, oh my God, that's a great idea. It's fabulous. Thank you very much. You've, you've made my day. And they, and you've made their bloody week, their month, their year. I mean, you're, 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 there's, there was an old ad in the UK called the Mount for, for Del Monte. They did, they did um, tinned fruits, absolute crap. But anyway, and they had a guy called the Man from Del Monte. It was in all the ads. You can Google it. You can see all the all the old crappy, cheesy ads from the from the 80s and 90s. Um, and the Man from Del Monte. Uh, he arrived in some farm somewhere in uh, in Spain, for example, growing oranges uh, or pears or, or peaches, and, uh, and and he arrives in a big flash car, and all the, all the villagers are there, all the poor peasants basically who pick all the bloody um, fruit, they're there, they're all waiting, waiting for him to try, and he tries, and he goes, yeah, he nods his head like this. The man from Del Monte, he said, "Yay!" And then the whole village erupts, in, and they're very happy because he, because the man from Del Monte has chosen their their wonderful um, uh, peaches to be stuck in shitty syrup in in, in a can. Um, but um, uh, there's the, there is a man from Del Monte in every uh, senior creative who has to who has to judge the work of people under him um, because. I remember in 2005, it would be or 2006, um, we had this lovely client called One Water. Uh, and One Water had, uh, this is when I had my own agency, um, they had, uh, uh, they, did, they did water, bottled water. But they had, uh, it's almost, almost a not-for-profit company, because every single penny of their profits went to build wells, wells in Africa. So for villages which had to walk, you know, 10, 15 kilometers a day to collect water, they put a borehole in the ground. And what was even more beautiful about it, the man Duncan Goose, who was uh, one of the founders, he told me that they're actually, they're, uh, uh, they're children's roundabouts. So uh, the children play on the roundabout, it pumps the water up and puts it into a big, a big tank. He told me that the, that the children played on so much to begin with, they used to overflow. So they had to, have, they had to put a valve on the tanks. To, to stop the stop all the water coming out, uh, but they were so successful that uh, I'm still in touch with him. And he said, uh, uh, "I think that they, they've raised millions and millions of pounds now to, to build stacks of these places." And they, I think something like I don't know, I can't remember the figures. Huge amount of, of, of villages now now have fresh water from boreholes right in the ground because of what, because of this project. I wrote a line for him uh, back at that time. It was called uh, "When you drink one." Uh, O-N-E, which is then brand name with a capital O, Africa, Africa drinks two, uh, that's T-double-O. Uh, and that became their line for years. I, think they, I don't know whether they still use it, maybe they do. Uh, but when you drink one, Africa drinks two. Uh, and the whole ethos, the, the whole uh, uh, raison d'etre was that uh, you drink this water and their, their profits go to build wells. Uh, it's a cracking idea. Anyway. Point of the story again, sorry, I, I, try, I try to keep focused, uh, I'm crap at it, um, was that I had two interns come in, two girls, and uh, and I said, look, you know, uh, think, think of some posters for One Water. Look, it's it's a, it's a, a pro bono account, we haven't any money for it, but um, so don't think elaborate shoots, don't think elaborate anything, think of stuff we can do just for free, uh, or I can call on some mates to do it easily. Okay, cool. 
Uh, I said, look, you got a couple of days. I said, whatever you can get. Here's, here's a pad, here's a pen. Um, two days later, I, said, uh, I went over to them and I said, uh, any, any ideas, girls? How are you getting on? Sheepishly look, look down. So, yeah, we 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 have done, done some. Have a, have a look. Just kind of push push over this pad. A big big bunch of paper, if I'm honest. I went through, the first one. Went through. Okay. Next one went through. Okay. The next one. Next one. Next one. Think. Oh my God Almighty! I, I don't know what to say. These are these are these are interns. They need some bloody encouragement. There is nothing here at all which I can, I can say anything positive on. I, I, I've, I've said in my career, every time I've walked into a creative department as, as, the, as the leader of the creative department, uh, I said, look, I'm not gonna like everything that you do. If you want someone to like every single thing that you do, show it to your mum. Because your mum loves everything that you do. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. She hasn't got a clue what you do, but she'll love it because you did it. Uh, it's the same as when you were two years old and you just, you just scribble on a piece of paper and she thought you were going to be the next Leonardo. Um, so I went through this, this, these two girls' list and I just thought, I don't know what to say. And then suddenly, bam, I get a sledgehammer in the face with a cracking idea. I said, oh my God, that's brilliant. I love that. It's beautiful. I thought, I've been working on this account for six months. Why the hell didn't I think of that? It's cracking. I love that. Brilliant. They got anything else? I flipped over the page and Oh my God, there's another, you're another one. You're another one. That's great. It's lovely. I said, you, we need to work these up now. I'll go and present them on Friday. You know, it's fantastic. Anything else? No, no, no. Okay, okay. But anyway, look, it doesn't matter. You've got two fucking corkers there. Excuse my language. You've got two corkers there. You're, they're brilliant. I didn't. This was, um, so this would be 2000. Yes, it would be 2006, just before the advent of Facebook. Facebook just just switching on at that point in the UK. Um, and. If it had been on at that point, it would have been all over social media that these two girls had had, the man from Del Monte had said yes, because they were so delighted. They told all of their friends, everyone, now you could do that online now, but they told everyone that they bloody knew um, that they'd had two ads chosen to present to a client when they're just bloody interns. Or, um, and the amount of CVs I got in, in the next week or so after that was insane. Everyone wanted to come. It's not about uh, me being a bloody god of advertising. It's just knowing what's good, choosing it, and encouraging, and mentoring, and making sure not only does it get made, it gets sold, because it has to get sold. Otherwise, it's just going to stick in and sit in a pad. And I think in every creative department in every agency in the world, there are 99 brilliant ideas gathering dust for every one that actually makes it. Um, and in Vietnam, there's not a lot of great ones that make it. But I, but I specifically wanted to talk today of, uh, uh, about on the positive side, which was um, so this year I had seen one uh, commercial, which is great, properly great. Um, not just great for Vietnam, just great anyway. Um, it's not going to win any awards. It's not that sort of commercial. But it's a cracking commercial because it looks at the Vietnamese language and it actually takes something which is, people look at the talk about local insights here. That's fine, yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, do you know that most of the people in Vietnam, or a huge amount of people watching YouTube, it's one of the, the largest consumers of YouTube on the planet. And they ain't just watching Vietnamese films or Vietnamese content or listening to Vietnamese music or thinking about Vietnamese holidays. They were there soaking in the rest of the world. So let's not be quite so narrow-minded in talking about Vietnam. But this is a Vietnamese idea 
And because it's based on the language. Um, I, did a, I did a campaign for Coke about five years ago, which is poster sites uh, in uh, uh, just after Tet, the Tet holiday, the Middle East New Year. And it was, um, uh, I realized if you had, uh, a, a lot of Vietnamese English words yeah, um, are, are said in two words in, in Vietnamese. So, get nha is hate. Um, but, uh, ge nha without, well, I can't remember exactly what, what letter's missing there, but ge nha is, 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 come here, come over here, let's have some, let's party or whatever it is. People in Vietnam would know it if they understand my terrible Vietnamese pronunciation. Um, but I realized if you cover up, uh, and there are many words like this, my writers eventually, I squeezed it out of them, but they wrote me 30 different versions of it. And if you covered up one letter, you could turn a negative word into a positive word. So for example, in English, you'd have, uh, and it was much sweeter in Vietnamese because you could either put it at, at the at beginning or the end. Um, uh, but the only word I came across, in fact, there's some others, because a friend of mine, I also put this challenge to a friend of mine, think of me some, uh, think some uh, English words, which you cover up one letter, negative becomes positive. But if you think of the word threat, I'm going to threaten you and threatening. Threat. If you cover up the H in threat, it becomes treat. That's basically the, 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 uh, the, that was what the code campaign was. It was like seeing the negatives but positive because of coke. Coke turns things positive. What happens? Anyway, um, the only thing I've seen since then, actually, there was there's one other campaign which was Funu, uh, Funu, and it, they changed it to something else recently. I can't, I can't remember the campaign. But basically, they've changed. Funu means um, second woman. It's not Funu. People just associate it with just woman, but actually, it means second woman. It means actually second place, standing behind your man. Yes, really. I think it's a bit more equality is needed here. So they put um, Fu. They changed it to something else to um, to become first woman. So something else new. I can't remember the exact term. But people here, people in the agency here, told me outdated now it feels about it should be done about four or five years ago the cracker that i'm going to talk about is maybelline uh, and maybelline has been done uh, has been done a little music video i'm not a big fan of music videos at all because it's basically a client's uh, uh, beautiful attempt to squeeze as many messages in as they possibly can because they can't do it in 30 seconds so they do it in three and a half minutes but this one's unlike that what maybelline did uh, and the agency well, i don't know uh, they uh, they looked at the word Maybelline and Maybelline, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but people in Vietnam will know. So Maybelline actually means stay stubborn. So they took out um, uh, the pronunciation of Maybelline, but obviously the, the last Maybelline, but they called it Maybelline. Maybelline, Maybelline sounds like stay stubborn in Vietnamese, which is awesome. What a beautiful little yeah. uh, phrase. Somebody has spotted that. And a client, a fabulous client, I'd love to work for them, has said, yeah, go with it. I love that too. Fantastic, because you get a beautiful video, music video. It's very simple, very cool. Um, it's got some <coughs> big stars in it. They're obviously doing a rap because everyone's doing raps here right now. But different style of music video. It looks damn cool. <coughs> um, and it's very inspirational. But that, that, that moment where somebody thought, that sounds like maybe Lee, which sounds stay stubborn, and there's a, a cosmetics brand putting that message out there is cracking. Love it. So that's the best thing I've seen here this year. In fact, best thing I've seen here for a long time. I did anyway. see a music video that you did like, 
and evidently uh, you talked about it on another show and it was a music video where they were layering uh, the musicians kind of like uh, they were recording them and then they would add another musician it was, it was very clever um, I don't remember the name of the band now but uh, you had mentioned oh, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. you mentioned yeah, on the show called, that you did not that was like the video Live uh, it was Bear Claws, I think, that I, I can't remember Bear Claws the name of the band or the name of the track, but basically they did it on Facebook. Um, they used um, what they called the floor. It's not really so much a floor, but basically it's about a seven or eight second gap between um, uh, filming yourself on Facebook Live and it appearing at the other end, wherever you are. So you've got this, you've got this gap. Um, so, uh, so when you call on Facebook Live, it's immediate, like I'm speaking to you now, but the first six, seven, eight seconds or so, it takes that to connect through. And um, so they used that, uh, they did it live and, and they, they looped their own track. So adding in another musician, another musician, another musician, um, uh, it's it brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, it, was, it was a couple of guys that uh, I knew from uh, DDB Amsterdam, they traveled DDB in Amsterdam. They were very talented there. And they went to BBDO in New York uh, and They'd done one ad for some drink, I think, or something. It was okay. It was all, all magical, but this was this was off off the scale. It was fabulous. Just yeah, I checked it. it out. It was really cool. It was very well done. I mean, I didn't get the Facebook experience of it, but just the execution of the video, the song's great. The band was super yeah, talented. Was, yeah. um, I, it was funny because uh, about um, about three months before that came out. Uh, I'd done a Facebook Live takeover for Visa. This is old Hara Visa. She was. She. She said. I remember her coming to my office and she said, um, "Have you got any new ideas for me?" So on the BBDO. I said, "Well, we got you know ideas for your pit, uh, sorry the, the project we're working on now." She said, "No, I don't want to see that. I want to see. I want to see new, fresh ideas." I said, "Of course I have." And she uh, and and, uh, and she said, "Has anybody else here seen them?" I said, "No, there's no point. They they won't they won't, they won't get them." And, and I said, "But you will. Do you want to see them?" Yes, yes, yes. And one of those ideas was a Facebook Live takeover. Um, people in Vietnam, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of online sellers. Uh, and they, they sell all sorts of stuff, right? from clothes to shoes to handbags to whitening creams, makeup, whatever. You've got kids stuff on there too. They're all online selling. <coughs> um, she, uh, basically we wanted, uh, she wanted to, people to pay with a Visa card. You know, if you got, a, if you got a, uh, well, basically pay, pay whatever you, whatever you um, are paying for, pay with Visa. The Visa debit that is, um, and uh, and this seemed to be a fun way to link people paying for stuff, uh, and the idea of why don't you pay with a Visa card? Now you could, you could be a bit anal and say, well, actually, you couldn't pay these on online sellers with a Visa card. Well, actually, if they signed up to Visa, you would be able to. It'd be much easier because everything in this country is cash on delivery. Um, in fact, cash accounts for 95% of transactions in Vietnam. I love it. Uh, I, love it. Cash, I love it. I'm a cash guy. Cash is king, man. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, credit cards, 4%. 1% of transactions in Vietnam are done with a debit card. And obviously Visa, Visa want, want people to spend on their debit cards because they don't earn out the people, but they earn out the retailers. Anyway, um, so uh, we did a Facebook Live takeover. Literally, we choose, chose three KOLs. One of them was Chi Poo, which is actually quite 
quite damn famous. Um, and we, we'd set up in studio and set, set up a background which was just like their uh, uh, actual place where they did live selling from. And so they did the standard live selling, but actually we had a fake wall behind them. And it was on rails. And at one point in the video, it was all pulled back and all these Visa dancers came in and they, and they sang this song about you know, buying stuff on Visa. And it was all a bit frantic and mental and, and crazy. And eventually she screams and stuff and switches off. But, um, but that was seen as brilliantly that people thought, what the hell is you? I just seen what the hell has just gone on? And it's great for PR. And then um, Ha used all the dancers to do all these activations and all these events and things. And it, that you know, it went really well for her. But no, I mean, a Facebook Live takeover was, I thought it was the first in the world. I, would, I don't think anyone has done this before. I'm sure they had, but I didn't know of any. Uh, but then three months later, the, the, the Bear Claws thing comes out from the BBDO Singapore uh, in New York. It's like, oh no, we're not, not in the same league as that. That's very, very good. That's very smart. A takeover is one thing, but using a, 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 a loop because of, um, and then it goes back and back and back and back, and they're playing with right. playing to themselves. Amazing. That was very clever. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. All right, so you've talked about a lot of positivity. Like every story you've told has been pretty positive, but I know that the advertising world is fraught with rejection. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably yeah. the, the bedrock of advertising is if you can get over the rejection and, and know that there's potential for your ideas to get through, that's enough to keep an advertising person alive. It's that, that minuscule chance that my idea is going to get through and a client's going to have the wherewithal or the emotional maturity or the level of, of appreciation or trust to let me do what I think is best. But I know, just watching Madman for years and, and, and being part of the industry myself, that more often than not, when you think you hit a home run, you struck out. And and how do how do you deal? How have you dealt with that? What have been some of the most significant events in your professional career, where you actually thought that you had the million dollar idea, but then you had to go back to the drawing table because you were flat out wrong. Um. I'm literally right at the moment uh, considering putting together a portfolio, a new portfolio. It's a portfolio of the ideas that I had uh, and they didn't quite make it. And then that idea has won a Grand Prix or a gold that can be done by somebody else. And ideas tend to be to a certain extent floating around in the ether um, and uh, whoever picks it out first uh, and gets it made and it runs and it happens and it's real they're the ones that get the awards. Um, I've got uh, at least five campaigns that have won massive awards worldwide um, that didn't happen. I wrote the damn things. Um, the agencies that I worked at, they didn't happen. Yeah, for whatever reasons, there's always a billion reasons. Uh, it could be client, it could be budget, it because, because, because they just don't like the idea. Uh, or they just forget about it and it just, it just goes off the radar. And then I, um, uh, to one client, and I thought, you need to see this, mate. You're the, you're the um, president of this brand for Asia. I showed you this idea. Uh, and then a year later, it's winning this massive award. And isn't it a cracking idea? 
And I thought, I'm never going to work with you again. I mean, I, I know, I mean, this is kind of jabbing you in the ribs and saying you're an idiot. But it's not, it wasn't actually. It was literally just saying to him, look, if you, if you get ideas presented like this to you, do them. Go with them. There was a, the, the, there was a, a, great, um, uh, a great lecture talk at Cannes from Fernando Machado, I think his name is. They, they basically, the, the um, guy who's just left Burger King, but um, Burger King Chief Marketing Officer Worldwide. Uh, and he was at Cannes, and in fact, I didn't even see the lecture. All I needed to see what was on his screen. And on his massive screen at Cannes, it just said, um, this is his advice to all marketing people, which is be afraid, be very afraid, then do it. If you don't do it, you'll never know. If you see it, I mean, I mean we have so many clients that you present something fantastic to, and they, they, they should shiver a bit and go, oh my God, I don't think we can do that. It's like exactly the right response. Because if you were trying to please everyone, uh, you can actually please no one because it's going to be bland. You've stripped the life out of it. If you're thinking that it needs to tick all these boxes, um, I always I always point this out when um, uh, we think about choosing a partner. Okay, so imagine if you had a list of all the things, all the tick boxes that uh, your new partner would have. Um, a, you'd never marry anyone for a start. You couldn't because you'd never find anyone ticked all the boxes. If they did tick all the boxes, they'd probably miss out on possibly the most important box of all, which is, do I get some kind of attraction to this person, chemical attraction? They're everything that I've always ever wanted, but I, I, I just I don't feel anything. And that's the, big, that's the only box which is never on, on anyone's um, uh, st strategic um, uh, uh, criteria for uh, an ad, it's seemingly, which is, what are people going to feel? You're going to make people feel something. And um, does it show off the product? Yeah, of course it does. Um, have we got happy people in it? Of course we've got happy people in it. Um, have we, we need to show it um, premium middle class, you know, whatever. Um, and we, it's obviously got to be Vietnamese. Yeah, 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 fine, fine. But you know, it's ticked all these boxes, but it's, it's, not, it's not actually ticked the box. Was, could I, do I give a shit about watching this again? No, I don't. And they'll say to you, yeah, but uh, our media spend means that people see this four and a half times on average. Like, yeah, but wouldn't they rather see something brilliant once? There was, um, uh, this, this country, I mean, it's, it's a long, long way behind um, uh, the rest of the world, in fact, most of the rest of the world in terms of the quality of the work it's doing. Um, there, is, there are much better productions going on now. There's some great productions going on. It looks slick and cool, um, but it's, it's not found its voice yet. Um, for example, uh, if you said to someone here, let's run a TV ad once, they go, what the hell are you talking about? What's stupid What the hell is the point of that? Uh, we need to get repetition. No, you don't actually. You just need to do something amazing. No, no, no. But we, it's, and, and it's actually basically the actual the real reason is we don't know what amazing is. And if it's amazing, it might amazingly upset a lot of people. Yeah, but it also might amazingly wow a lot of people. Yeah, but we're still thinking about the people it might upset. Right, so we're not going to do amazing then. No, 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 no. So, uh, in 2007, in the UK, okay, it's a different market, and people say, oh, you can't compare the UK to, the, to Vietnam. No, of course you can't, because it's only people who live there, and it's people who live here. So, 
I know there's different upbringing, different backgrounds and things, but we all kind of get inspired by the same things. The, the, um, the super famous films around the world, they're also loved here. The super famous music tracks, they're also loved here. Now, they're not singing in Vietnamese guys, but they still love them. Now, you also do some great films and great music here, and great content here, fantastic. But you don't have to be just here. You don't have to close your minds to it because do you know what? Vietnamese people, they're really clever. They're not stupid. They actually understand a lot. So don't worry about them not understanding stuff. Oh, they won't get that. They will, they really will. Now, if you went into, an agent, into a client here and say, look, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have, we're gonna have a guy, this is back to 2007, right? So now it's 2021 here. So this is 14 years later, <laughs> but we walk into a client here and we say, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a, like a, a, a studio set up uh, and it's purple and uh, it's brown color, don't worry, it's brown color. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna pan round and we're gonna see a guy in a gorilla outfit and he's gonna play drums. It's like, uh, uh, what other ideas have you got? So no, 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 hear me out, hear me out. He's gonna play drums, right? And uh, it's basically, it's about, you know, uh, uh, the, the joy. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a glass and a half of joy. Cause you've got a glass and a half of milk in every bar of, of, of cabbage, dairy, milk, chocolates, glass and a half of joy. So he's getting the joy. He's joy, basically he plays drums. He's, all his life he's wanting to play the Phil Collins track and he plays the drums. And it's an old fashioned track, but we'll bring it back cause it will sound cool. What the hell are you talking about? Get out. Well, they certainly don't um, know no, Phil Collins. What <laughs> absolute? You, you, you're telling us we've got to buy this shite and you're going to put it on TV once. What are you doing? What are you talking about? Get out. And it's like, no, no, but we're going to do an advertising campaign that's going to advertise the, 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 the TV spot. It's going to go on for a minute. No, no, no. We, we told you a 30 second only, 30 second only. Well, actually, we've got a minute and a half version. Oh, look, get out, get out. The number one most loved ad of all time in the UK was only ever shown on TV once, the Cadbury's Gorilla ad, once. It's on TV once. This is before social media, 2007, so it would have been blogged about, um, copied everything for a billion times. Did you see that? Did you see that? Shared like crazy. They do not understand that here. Not yet, maybe one day, not yet. I spoke to a very a, a CEO recently, a very large agency in Vietnam. He said, you got five years, Chris, before anything decent comes out of here. Minimum. All right. But anyway, as I said, I'm keeping positive because basically we've got some very nice work coming out for one of our clients shortly, which I'm very proud of. Uh, they've just signed off on it all today. Uh, so you've got some beautiful little short films, very short, very beautiful. Um, and we've got some excellent out of home. And the reason why I say excellent is because they talk to people Vietnamese people, like they're clever. It's very, very rare. Very rare indeed. Um, I think the starting point for the most advertising is, by the way, I know you're stupid, so therefore I'm gonna show you exactly how to drink this product, how to eat this product. I'm gonna show you exactly how to, how to wear, what to, how to, it's just, Educating people to do the most basic things on, on, on the planet, I mean, and not leaving you with anything worth talking about anything memorable. Um, the funny thing is though, that uh, we had, uh, at BBO I had 25, well at one point we had 25 students come in, age range between 21 and 25. Uh, I think they were from AIM Academy. <coughs> and um, 
they wanted to see an agency present our creds and whatever to the agency so we showed them <coughs> 10 of bbdo's tv ads uh, and at the end of it i explained them all and you know we we're quite proud of them and then some of them were okay some of them a bit whatever at the end of it i said just out of interest can i have a show of hands uh who's seen any of those ads before no wow okay ah right let's 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 dig a bit further can i have a show of hands who watches tv no one oh my god i said you know half of those ads are aimed at you we've got ads in there for pepsi they want you to drink pepsi we've got ads in there for cheap noodles they want you eating that crap you're not watching tv are you no you've never seen these ads no wow and who uh, who's got a facebook account 25 who watches youtube 25 Okay, let's let's say who's on um, social media for three hours a day, day twenty five. I'll cut it. I'll cut to the quick. Um, we still have three hands up for people who are on social media for seven hours a day or more. So why exactly are we doing TV ads for these people when they don't watch TV? Mainly because actually they're doing TV ads and they stick them on YouTube and they promote the hell out of them on YouTube. But the funny thing is. Uh, in Vietnam, what you tend to get is um, they'll slash the production budget to the bare bone, uh, and yet the production houses still do some cracking work. They do. They they, they turn you know silk purses out of sow's ears, <coughs> and um, <coughs> and do an incredible job <coughs> at uh, uh, producing some beautiful work, beautiful commercials or films or whatever you want to call them. Uh, the problem is the ideas tend to be a bit crap. Uh, because they've been watered down, watered down, and watered down, so there's nothing left. Um, so there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, nothing bold left. It's, it really is, it's all magnolia. And you think, I oh, see so nobody notices magnolia. Why don't you pick it bright pink with, with gold stripes all over it and, and black polka dots? Something that people will notice. And people go, what the hell is that? Which is basically what the Maybelline thing is. It looks completely different to anything else that's come out recently. So, um, uh, you think, and now what you're going to do is you're going to put a huge amount of money behind media spend. So you spend all this money on media promoting it and to get all the views up. Now you could say that uh, it's great that all these people have seen it, but you check out on some of the most um, uh, viewed commercials in Vietnam and there are hardly any likes, hardly any dislikes, and hardly any comments. And that means that basically it's pre-roll and nobody cares. Nobody's actually really watched it. Sometimes you'll say, they'll show you the statistics which people have watched it all the way through. But have they commented on it? No. Have they liked it? No. Have they shared it? No. So you've got 6 million people watching something. You've got 32 likes. Right. So, uh, and you've got four dislikes. Uh, basically, no one cares. And if no one cares, what have you just spent your money on? So how do you convince clients to be brave? Like, you know, you and I sat having coffee one day and we were talking about this ad, I think it was for Snapple, <coughs> where you barely saw the product at all. It was pretty much a guy in a cool truck and whatever activity was happening at the time, which had no relativity to the brand or the product. 
but there was something about what was going on with this dude and his truck that was really engaging and turned people on. And uh, and it sold product without even, you know, really, I mean, the product was like minuscule in the ad. How do you take a market that's really conservative like this, which is on the rise, but, you know, I, I like the adage, you know, sometimes you just have to uh, uh, apologize instead of asking for permission. Can you incentivize clients to gamble on things, give them a, a, a cracking, as you would say, a cracking deal on a gamble of a campaign uh, with uh, some kind of a, a subliminal guarantee that if you spend this amount of money uh, and, and take the chance, be brave, be a pioneer in, in, in Vietnam and, and do something that not everybody's doing, you must pitch this stuff all the time and it just gets shot down. Do you ever get the opportunity to just let your hair down and make the client the hero, make the brand the hero for taking a chance in a way that nobody else is doing? Um, you, do, you talk and refer to Ocean Spray. Now, Ocean Spray had nothing to do with that. He just happened to be a, a guy uh, on a longboard taking his way to work drinking Ocean Spray. He could have been drinking anything. <coughs> what, Ocean, what the genius of Ocean Spray was they contacted the guy and they not only because his, his pickup truck had broken down they found out the story they bought him a brand new pickup truck and they stood and they filled it full of ocean spray and they filmed the hell out of it and got it on all the tv channels and then some of these guys are hero he's not he is a hero he's fantastic he just did something and also uh, it was um a fleetwood mac track that he was singing along to that he put over the, the top and it's an old track uh, and yet it was a great track and then suddenly you've got Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac copying him on the back of a bloody truck with, with an ocean spray. I mean, suddenly it goes out of control and it's, and it's absolutely amazing. But that is, mate, that's one in a billion right. that happens. Right. Once in a billion. You, can, you, you cannot. It was, it was very funny, there was that... Uh, uh, someone of the exec, ECDs uh, had posted on LinkedIn, if you've got anyone uh, showing you ideas like this, hire them. And I thought, no, because that's not right. That that's that's a lottery. That's a complete lottery. Because you might get something that goes massively viral. Highly unlikely. Right. There are there are I mean something like I don't know, fifty hours of, of uh, footage up, uh, uploaded to YouTube every minute. How are you gonna find shit like that? Same thing on, on TikTok, but it must be even more on TikTok because you've got tiny little snippets. So you've probably got on those, uh, a few million videos going up every day. How's going to, how are they going to find one? You, you, you can promote the hell out of it. But as soon as you start promoting it, then it's suddenly, well, hang on a second, is this, is this an ad? Ocean Spray wasn't an ad. It just happened. It just happened. But then it just, and they made it into an ad, which that's the, that's the smartest of the client. Very, very smart. Left on it. So with all you have this to do content, that instant, how, how do you even. There's such a tremendous amount of content every second of every day. How do you get your stuff seen? How do you position a brand to have some success when everything is going off simultaneously? You have viewers with different tastes looking at different things, all looking in the same area at different things, but how do you catch someone's attention these days? Because we're just inundated. There's two ways. There's two ways. Uh, you can outspend them, or you can outsmart them. 
and this has been said in advertising for a long, long time, you don't spend them. Spend loads and loads of money getting people to see it. Better still, spend absolutely nothing and do something brilliant. Right. Which one would you prefer? The, the, the problem is that, that um, the definition of brilliance is different all over the world. So um, you have to be careful what, what you're recommending. Um, and what I might think is terrible, which, ha which happened last year, I thought well, we did a film for a client, uh, the director got involved, the director absolutely annihilated this beautiful script. They're the worst job I've ever seen. Um, and uh, it's horrendous. And yet, I only found out today, actually, the locals quite like it. But wow, you, you, it's, that was a shock, actually, if I'm honest. Because I'd seen something exquisite and we crafted it into the most perfect diamond and the director turned it back into coal um, and even crushed the coal. That was just the most dreadful thing. But here, they quite liked it. Yeah. I think because yeah. they are, it's something that they were used to. I mean, people get, sh the shock of the new is, is, is uh, hard to deal with here. They're just not used to it. And but there's anyone... a youth culture here too. There's, a, there, you know, there's a growing youth culture and they're becoming globally sensitive to material and subject matter. And I think they're probably clamoring for guys like you who can really tell stories, really deliver brand messaging differently. And not everybody's a 50 year old uh, executive going home and watching TV. They don't watch TV. Uh, but having said that, um, what, I, what I've kind of found a bit bizarre in the last, well, nine years really, advertising hasn't really changed very much here. Some some bits have, there are some bits of uh, that, that keep you going here. <coughs> but really, and not only has it not changed, I think it actually got worse. And the, as I say, production values have got higher. I mean, for some reason, they're able to do more for less, but they're doing well. But in terms of, in terms of ideas, you, you see the same stuff going on now as it did nine years ago. Why on yeah. earth have you moved forwards? Um, when I, I used to live on Winnipeg, I, was, I lived on Winnipeg for, four, for just over four years. And it was the big main walking street. I lived in the number 42 in the ninth floor right in the corner. In fact, I don't think there's anybody in there right now. The rest of the, 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 rest of the whole area is, the whole uh, building is made into little shops and coffee shops and, 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 and foodie places. I lived through um, uh, the renovation of the, the roads, Windway roads, we would become the precinct. It was eight months of utter hell, the most, the most horrendous noise you could ever imagine. They, they'd obviously scoured the world for the least oiled machine. But what I did, the joyful bit was, when it was finally converted to the precinct, the, the big windway as it is now, the walking street, it's a kilometre long. And I viewed, and I have always viewed that as a kilometre long catwalk for Vietnam. You're listening to The Pure Now Show a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Okay, you've got this wealth of experience. You've been doing this most of your adult life. Not most mm -hmm. of your adult life. If you were to give yourself, your younger self, some advice to <laughs> perhaps avoid any of the unnecessary suffering through your knowledge, what would you tell young Chris about going into this business? Uh, oh dear. Um, I actually, uh, uh, so about four years ago, uh, I, I started to write a book um, called Life Lessons. 
it took me 18 months to write it and it took me another year to edit it and around with it and, and get, try and get rid of all the spelling, spelling mistakes. Uh, it's 365 life lessons, it's, it's just one for every day of the year and it was to pass on to my children. Um, the three who can read and the three who will read one day, sorry the two will read one day. Um, and it was lessons about life in general, it was about you know relationships, about work, about friends, family, marriage, whatever. Children too, and um, it was that was just me trying to because I'm not around at the moment in the, in the UK. I haven't been back for a long time because of the situation in the world now. So I wanted to pass them on, and I sent it to them a week, uh, sorry, a year last Christmas. Uh, the finished book, so there are five copies of it. That's all. I only need five. Three for my children in the UK, two for the two for the ones here. When one day they uh, uh, they can go through it, uh, and. There's loads of advice in there about, it was really, I felt like, if you're prepared for something, um, you, for example, one day your best friend in the world may turn around and stab you in the back and you won't know why. Uh, it happened to me, but I, so, and, and it, it completely flattened me at the time, but if I'd known it could happen, maybe it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't have hurt so much. Um, there's other ones in there, things like um, uh, uh, what people lack in talent, they tend to make up for in politics. And again, these are observations, these are experienced people that I've come across some really desperately untalented people, but they're extremely unpleasant and they play political games to make sure that uh, uh, they either push you out or flatten you or crush you. Um, I don't get crushed anymore. Anyway, um, in terms of advice to myself to entering the industry, um, it's a tricky one, mate, because I, I have to give advice to lots of um, uh, uh, young creatives uh, now. I mean, I interview people a lot, uh, and I have to uh, regularly speak to them about about um, uh, uh, mentoring, mentoring, trying to make them feel good about what they're doing, and try to you know help them go up the ladders of their career. What would I say to me? Um, I'm quite pleased that my three elder children aren't doing what I do. Um, I think our industry is going through a lot of changes. Um, it's, it's a bit all over the place at the moment. It's super exciting because you do have lots of options, but it's super messy because you do have lots of options. Um, I'm not saying it was better before, it, it, it wasn't. It's always improving. Everything's improving. But what um, what seems to be uh, taking over is, is fantastic technology. It's wonderful technology. It's not, it's not ideas. Guys, give me, give, give me ideas. Give, don't, don't give me a framework of all these different messaging structures that we're going to do over the next few months. Give me one fantastic idea. Stuff that people are going to go, whoa, and they want to share the hell out of it. They want to tell that all their friends. And it's, uh, it's easier uh, to do a hundred little ideas than one big idea. Um, and it makes people probably more comfortable. They've got a hundred little ideas. So if one little idea dies, a little, another little idea should will be okay. If you just do one big idea, oh my God, what happens if that dies? Yeah, but look around the world and see what works and what doesn't and see the things which are historically done extremely well. Be open. 
Uh, we look at, I think, myself and, and the other expat here, uh, and some of the expats in, in, the, in the agencies that I've worked at here, are always being bombarded with fantastic work from all the way around the world, and we're inspired by it. We never, we never copy it, we're inspired by it. It's like, wow, you can do that, it's cool. Um, and you go, oh, that's fantastic, I'd love to be doing stuff like that. And in fact, I have done stuff like that. Um, I've done stuff which people have gone, that's awesome, thank you, that's great. Um, and I've also done stuff which, as I said before, it, it, the ideas are there and it just didn't happen. Somebody else did it, good for them. They got the awards, they got all the extra money. I don't care about the money, but, it's, but the recognition is great because it helps you get you up in your career. Uh, but when it comes to um, uh, uh, what, you t what I tell a younger me was don't work so hard. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's okay. really not worth it. I, 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 when I speak to my brothers um, uh, who do completely different industry, I mean, completely different industries to me, uh, I've, done, I've done two, two um, careers. I've done, I've done twice as much, twice as many hours of them in their entire career as, I, as, as I've done as twice as many as they have, twice as many hours. Um, I, I mean, uh, obviously divorce takes a lot away from me, so I lost the big house, lost three cars, lost all the big holidays, so I'm building back up, up again now, trying. Um, but uh, don't go after the money, go after the work, go after the quality of the work, because if you're doing great work, you love going to work. Um, if you're doing it for the money, I once did a job for the money, uh, and because they paid me loads and they gave me a pension and they gave me bonuses and they gave me a car and I hated every minute I was in the place uh, and it made my life incredibly miserable and it's come home and shout at the kids a lot and one day the kid said to me Dad, can you leave the comp that company? Jesus, why? I mean, these, these are like 11, 12 year olds Why? He said, because you're really angry, Dad Every time you come home, you're really angry I quit the next day Wow uh, Because it's like, my, my kids are seeing it God's sake, it's not worth it. It's not worth the hours. Now, one thing I would say, by the way, I, I say this to every person I interview. Um, uh, if your agency is making you work till 10, 11, 12, or night or, or longer, it's badly run. Please note, your agency is badly run. Get out. Because um, if they're insisting on, on you doing all this stuff, it basically is because there's far too much internal infighting. Um, they aren't listening to the clients, they're not doing the right briefs, they're not doing the right anything. So get out when the going's good because you'll burn out and then you'll, you'll think, what the hell did I get out of that? Um, I did that when I first got to Vietnam, the most horrendously run agency you could possibly imagine uh, um, with an idiot at the top and an idiot, um, uh, an idiot below me. Uh, and they were people that unfortunately uh, were clueless, uh, didn't listen to clients, didn't, I could pick it, couldn't, they, these are the people who actually couldn't sell beer to an alcoholic. So um, uh, I needed to get out of there, I did get out, but um, uh, we were working 15, 16 hour days, every day, seven days a week. For what? For what? We're supposed to have a life. Only by having a life do we, um, outside of work, do we soak up enough information, like, like a bank account. You need to be exposed uh, to things outside of the office so you have better ideas inside the office. If you, it's like a bank account, you, the, the more deposits you make, the better return you'll get. So, um, I mean, uh, even at Steve Harrison's place, we used to have a, a deal, which was you get four weeks holiday a year, standard deal, yeah? Uh, four weeks holiday a year. 
Um, if you take a week's holiday, obviously you get a week's pay. If you take a two week holiday in one go, the extra week, that, sorry, the second week, you get double pay. Whoa, why? Why are you giving us that? That's fantastic. Obviously, everyone in the company took two lots of two week holidays. And the reason why that made sense is not only because um, it stops people just taking a day off here, a day off there, three days off here, two days off there, because it's a pain in the ass. It just, it just it splits up the, the, um, uh, the, the time on accounts and you can't rely on everyone. So people you knew you're going to take two weeks here, you knew you're going to take two weeks there. Of course you did, because you get double pay for the second week. So that made sense that way. But to the bosses, our bosses, it made sense in the fact that if you had a week's holiday, by the end of the, by the, end of the, the first week, you, you haven't even depressurized from work yet. It takes you into the second week to properly depressurize. If you get a two weeks holiday, you can soak in all this stuff and you bring back new experiences. You've probably traveled further abroad or something, not now, at the, the, the time. So you've, you've got, you, you, they basically deposit in your own bank account. It's fantastic, it's a great idea. Why people don't do that now? God, it's all down to money. People just, you know, the people at the top sort of make more. Um, but um, if you share it a little bit more, uh, I think you get an awful lot greater return. And also you, you make your, your agency attractive to work at. Steve, because he used to win a lot of awards and give bonuses like that, he, he once told me, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm talking out of place here, but he said once told me that uh, he used to pay people 75% of the going rate. He said, because people wanted to work there. And he would say to them, look, I'm not gonna pay you that, I'm gonna pay you this. If you want it, great, join. If you don't want it, don't, it's fine. But if you want it, what you'll learn in the next two to three years, maybe four years, is enough to earn this, which is an awful lot more than you're asking now. Uh, and they think, and it's some people thought, no, fuck off, I want, I want, I want proper money out on this one. Most took him up on it because you just think, well, yeah, you're right. You're the most awarded agency in town. You've got some great ideas. I mean, in terms of uh, looking after your staff. I mean, we had a free a beer fridge after six o'clock. Um, I'm not a big beer drinker, but nonetheless, I mean, you people go and get a beer after after a hard day's work, and they didn't like people staying all night either. They didn't like want people working weekends. They wanted people working properly. One thing that um, he he did have was was. Yeah, extremely vigilant over people drinking at lunchtime. You know, he said, "Look, guys, you have a drink at lunchtime. Uh, don't come back, okay?" He said, "Stay in the pub and don't come back ever." He said, uh, "I'll give you a free uh, free drink at six o'clock, and you drink all night if you want to. But you drink in the working day, and and go to another agency to do that." The whole drinking culture, which, he, which he'd been through before, and Ogilvy and others, he, he didn't. He hated it. Just, why, why, why on earth would I now, as an owner of an agency, pay you to go and get pissed in the pub and, and be worthless on a Friday afternoon, sometimes Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday afternoon? So no, no, don't do that. You can drink after work. And so things like that, we just, it was hard and fast rules and some of them I liked, some of them I didn't like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's his agency. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, sorry, it's a really long answer to what would I tell my uh, younger self. Right. Right. You said many things that you would say in many things. To just, just don't, 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 don't work, work so too hard. hard. It's not, it's not worth it. It ain't worth it. It's really not worth it. Get, get, get out. Get enjoying life. You've got to get your work-life balance. I worked. I mean, part of the reason why I, uh, I got divorced because I worked too hard. Yeah. Why, why on earth? What, 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 how, how is that good? Well, you gotta no, get a divorce from somebody, it's either your job or your wife. So, uh, you know, people make choices every day about 
balance. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the main, th main thing is, like, I think what you pointed out was you do have to stay positive. You can't, um, you can't dwell on the negatives. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to look for the good bits in each day. Uh, back to back to when I, was, I did a pitch for Coke, uh, was basically it was about seeing the good bits rather than focusing on the negative bits. Right. Um, uh, because you look out for those things. It was all this thing about the, the um, uh, uh, positive thinking. You know, the, 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 the what's it called? The laws of attraction. Sure. Which is basically, you think positive things, positive things happen. Yeah. Think negative, things, negative things happen. Yeah. Quite There's good. Some, uh, and actually, to that. It, it's true. It does work that way. It's energy. So it's how you use your energy. It's it's very uh, reciprocal. It re reciprocates. And people people actually come. Uh, people oh, want to um, uh, speak to you. Uh, and once you once you like even something like this, you know, you you put uh, something positive out into the world, not something to negativity, and suddenly um, you get all these all these people contacting you, not because they've seen it, they just this little bit of energy goes out into the world, and they think, oh, someone's shining over there, someone's a little right. bright light over there, and they say, oh, hello, Mr. Bright Light, can you shine some on me? Right, true that. The, the thing You've is, the toughest thing, the toughest thing in, in, um, in uh, uh, when you are uh, feeling down is uh, to not pretend to feel up. It's just to try to make yourself go up. Try to think positive. It's very, very hard because um, uh, when you're under a, um, uh, uh, a, a dark cloud, uh, nobody sees you. Uh, and it's that's and getting rid of those dark clouds. I've had it a few times in my life, and nobody sees you, nobody notices. Um, and they're waiting. You're waiting for the sun to pierce through the dark cloud, and it does. It does come. Um, and as soon as that sun hits you, everyone wants to know you. But when the clouds over you, you're invisible, and it's really tough. Uh, and, I, and I feel for people who, who do suffer from depression uh, or bipolar or whatever, because. You, you know, it's it's hard hanging on to the fact that the sun will break through the clouds because it always does. Uh, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, the, the in the last few weeks before my agency had to close, sitting um, chain smoking at uh, four a.m. in the morning, not being able to sleep, not being able to. I just didn't know what to do. It was a nosedive, and we were about to smash into the ground, and you can, there's nothing I could do to stop it. Um, and then, literally. Uh, two years later, being in Amsterdam, thinking, if I could go uh, back now and tell that guy uh, who was just waiting for a bus to hit him uh, that life is going to be this good now, uh, I'd, I'd want to just shake him, just put my arm around him and say, mate, we hang in there because. This is awesome. You're going to love this because people love what you do. People love you. That that you you you're out of your shell again. You're you're being given uh, centre stage and 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 you're performing like a beauty. Just hang in there. Um, but in you know July 2008, just I had a huge house, three cars, wonderful children, um, uh, glorious holidays, and the rest of it, and it all meant absolutely nothing. Sadly, it's horrendous, isn't it? How work can drag you down to 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 very complete base level. And it was never, it wasn't even about the money. I was earning decent money. It was just having to say goodbye to talented people that I that I I'd promised they'd have a job, and then they were out of one, and that's shit. But well, you can't um, control everything. You can only control yourself. No, no. Um, 
Anyway, uh, I've talked enough. No, you did great. And I, you know, I just want to say, Chris, I appreciate your time. It was super fun to hear your stories. You've got a lot of amazing insight into the industry, even some special insight into uh, the local Vietnamese uh, advertising psyche. And, uh, and we appreciate the ride that you took us on. This place um, deserves better advertising. Uh, the country does, the people out there on the streets deserve better work. It will come. Uh, some brands are doing it, some clients are, um, uh, not just the mavericks, the ones with some foresight, some vision. Um, I wrote an article on uh, LinkedIn, I think it was last year, about vision, sorry, sight versus vision. Sight is just seeing something, vision is seeing what it can be. Uh, and, and it's really having the, 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 the strength to put something out there which is, is, is worth something. Don't just go on your numbers and then your stats and your charts. Make it feel something, make people feel something. If you feel something, even if it shocks you, great, because it's going to do the same. You can't please all the people all the time. You're going to, if you polarise people, some people love it and some people hate it, fantastic because they're talking about it when it's, when it's just there as more wallpaper it's worthless you're wasting your money all right cheers mate i will see you again soon my friend if you enjoyed the pure now show you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hi Ha Dang. Thanks so much for watching.